Um, right, today I'm going to talk about righteousness and what righteousness is. <clears throat> we've had, uh, you know, the idea that righteousness, uh, you know, we've had different ideas of righteousness, salvation, faith, and all those kind of things. And, and I'm going to go into a series explaining what is righteousness, uh, what is salvation, uh, what is sin, what is holiness. And I just think... Um, we need to define these things from a perspective wherein we use uh, the, uh, uh, God and what He's done, or even before He's done anything, just the Trinity, uh, God's concept or God's foundation from where He defines things, and we're going we're gonna to use that and define what righteousness is in the light of uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and not just in the light of slavery and all those kind of things. But I will explain to you... Um, exactly what, what this is all, all about. We will, I want to go to Romans chapter 3 and, uh, and just read a verse about righteousness there. Romans 3 and verse 19. It says the following. It says, um, Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them which are under the law, that every mouth should be stopped and that the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what he says here is, he basically says in verse, 20, uh, verse 19 and 20 that, the, the justification of God, the die rechtvaardige making van God, of the gerechtigheid van God, can not manifest. It cannot manifest <coughs> uh, by the works of the law. So by the works of the law, we cannot see the righteousness of God manifest. But we can, through faith, we see the righteousness of God manifest. Now, we need to define righteousness because if we don't know what righteousness is, how will we know what the righteousness of God then is? It even goes on to say the righteousness of God is manifested through faith. It doesn't say there that our righteousness is manifested through faith. It says the righteousness of God is manifested through faith. Now, if I think of the word righteousness and what I traditionally believed about the word righteousness, um, righteousness or Afrikaans gerechtigheid was actually a very difficult concept to me. I think of when I was, uh, when I was still in the Dutch Reformed Church and, and, and uh, the reverend would preach and say, talk about gerechtigheid, you know. My goodness, that's a big word. I don't even know what it means. And we even sit with the same thing in church today. Um, we sit with what is righteousness? How do we define righteousness? Um, and my view of righteousness was basically a, a, a kind of a form of holiness or um, 
I would, if I think of God as righteous, I would see this being that's just permeating this light that sits in heaven and he shines and he's on a throne and the angels worship him and he is righteous. And then with that, I've got the verse that comes to my mind that says, unless my righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, I shall by no means enter into the kingdom of God. And then I, I would think of righteousness in my own life um, and that would be, I, I, must, I would see righteousness as these good works that I need to do or that, I mean, these good works would be my righteousness. And I would, um, anyway, I would see the righteousness of God as this bright light, and then man's righteousness, which is actually like filthy rags, but you must also have some form of righteousness. And, and then we would find the grace, in the grace message, we find that God imputes His righteousness unto us, meaning that He sees us as righteous as what Jesus is, but we're not actually that righteous. You know, he just sees us that way. It's almost like uh, uh, throwing a blind eye to my faults and my mistakes and then just saying, well, I will rather look at Jesus, and when I look at Jesus, then I see you. And uh, so that I don't have to look at you. And that leaves you still with a sense of, well, thank God, you know, I'm going to make it in this righteousness thing, you know, and there's at least some form of qualification for me that I will not go to hell. Glory to God for a good Jesus. You know, in my studies of Scripture, I've come to realize the more you know, the more you know. And the more you know, the more you know you don't know. <laughs> that is just the way it is. The more you know, the more you know. And then you realize that you don't actually know. And that is what I've seen in my studies on, uh, um, in Scripture. And when I was in the U.S. and just when it, before I went to the United States, um, in my study about righteousness and my study about just how we relate to God, I've come to realize that our definitions of things is all law-based. Uh, it would be like taking somebody, um, and, and let me explain to you what I mean by that. If, if somebody lives on Mars, and you go to Mars and you you meet with this guy and you want to explain to him how a rose, what is a rose? How will you explain it to him? He doesn't know water. He doesn't know plants. He knows nothing. All he's got is he knows there's a sun. He knows there is soil. He knows rocks. And he, he doesn't know a lot of color even. And now you try to explain to this person what a rose is. Or you try to explain to him what a, what a buffet is. You, you cannot, you, you know, or, or what, a, what a nice meal would be with friends. It would be so difficult to explain it to him, especially when it comes to plants. What you'll do is, you will take uh, the stuff that there is on Mars, like rocks, and you will kind of pack out a rose, you know, on the ground with these rocks and try and explain to him with terms that he can understand and with stuff that he can understand what a rose would be. And you might even be so good to, to kind of get a, you know, uh, um, even with sculpturing or something, you know, you can a mooi roos uit kap uit a rots uit, to explain to him what a rose is. 
but he will never know what a beautiful uh, a rose, you know, a yellow rose would look like. He would not know what it is. He will not be able to smell it. That would be ex very difficult to explain. How would you explain the smell of something on a planet where that thing has never been? You, you, it's difficult. But you'll use terms that kind of get him to understand that there's something else and something different. And I believe the same thing has happened with our definition of righteousness. Um, when, and, and our definition of salvation and our definition of sin and all those kind of things. When we look at the Israelites and when they were taken into slavery through the Egyptians, and after 400 years of slavery... You know, God comes and He wants to set His people free. And the only way wherein He could actually, you know, uh, let me, yeah, let me put it this way. What would the slave, that is 400 years in slavery, what would His definition be of righteousness? The only definition of righteousness that He would have is a legalistic definition of righteousness, which would be connected to how many bricks He made, <coughs> how obedient he was, if he speaks bad about the Pharaoh or not, or if he's done his job or not, or if he's loyal to the Pharaoh or not. That is the only foundation wherein you can explain righteousness or, um, you know, holiness to him. It's only with what he has on his planet Mars. Now, when we look at the Greek meaning of righteousness, <clears throat> let me just read it uh, uh, to you quickly. Um, there it is. It means um, equity of character or act. That's what it means. Equity of character or act to be as you ought to be. To be as you ought to be. Now, if you go and ask uh, a Hebrew slave, how, if I, if I ask you, how, how should you be? Hoe sê veronderstel om te lewe? Wat is your form of gerechtigheid? If you are as you ought to be, how will you define that? They will say, I wake up at five in the morning, I go and I, I do my job, I make my bricks, I help the pharaohs, I, I, I work and I don't complain, and I do whatever they say to me, and then I come and I am, and I come home, and then I am a righteous slave. Now, if you take family logic and you want to explain righteousness inside family logic to be as you ought to be. If I look at my son, if he is as he ought to be, how is he supposed to be? I mean, it's completely different to what a slave would be. Now, imagine my son gets taken captive by slaves and he's, he's, he's enslaved for 400 years. All he knows is slave language. And now I want to come and explain to him who he is and what he is. And he feels guilty, and he feels he's like a sinner. He feels he doesn't, he is not righteous. Now what will I come and do? I will come and tell him, listen man, you, you are righteous. You don't stand guilty anymore. And I will try and explain to him that there is nothing uh, 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 separating me from him and the language that I will use is I will say to him you don't have any sins anymore it's just as good as I'm, I'll try to explain to him how the Pharaoh and his son feels towards each other by telling him you see between the Pharaoh and his son the son and the Pharaoh you know there's, there's no such a thing as works anymore 
There's no such a thing as righteous by your works anymore. You are righteous, man. And I'll use like a, the, the, the language of slavery to try and explain to him who and what he really is. And in that same form, we've come and tried to explain the gospel, wherein we would say things like, God came and He made your bricks for you in Jesus Christ. I hope you hear what I'm trying to say. We, may, we think that the way we serve God is by making bricks. We're actually serving the Pharaoh. And now we think Jesus came and He made the bricks for us. And now we stand righteous before the Pharaoh because my bricks are made. Can you see how that is still a slave mentality? And that's got nothing to do with a father-son relationship? If we need to define righteousness, we must go and look at the relationship there is between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Define it there, and then we'll come with an unpolluted truth on what righteousness actually is. If I look at righteousness between me and my children and me and my family, if they are as they ought to be, I want them to be open with me. I want them to, uh, to share their heart with me. Trust me. I trust them. That is the definition of righteousness. And if I see any of them being taken into slavery, I would say that's unrighteous. That's unjust. It's not just that my people or, or my family is taken captive by some other guy and they are the slaves. So since I will be righteous or as I ought to be as a father, what would I want to do? I will want to save them from the oppression that they are under. I'm not interested in making bricks. I'm not interested in helping them with a task they have for the day or fulfilling the law of the Pharaoh. That's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in fulfilling the law of life in my heart, which is my people must be free and be people that can live by faith in me and trust in me in a family relationship. So when we look at the, I mean, there's so many things. That's why this will be a series. I will explain the law. I will explain all these things and what it actually is. But we've got to come to a place where we we, we see ourselves as part of God's family, man. And not just as, as slaves that became family. We were family that was taken into captivity, and now God's family is being set free from the captivity. And therein is the righteousness of God revealed. So, when we come to righteousness, um, let me explain this way. <clears throat> If, if I, Exodus says it this way, Exodus says this way, it says, God came and he said to Moses, Moses, take the people, go to the people and tell Israel that they are my firstborn, my son. Israel is my firstborn, my son. That was God's view of Israel. And when that was God's view of Israel, God saw that my firstborn, my son, is in slavery. And then he said, I see that people are oppressing, the Egyptians are oppressing my people. He didn't slay, say that, that, go and tell my slaves. He says, Israel is my son. And now God comes and he looks at his son, Israel. And now in the same, that is a type and a shadow of us. 
He looks at mankind under the slavery and the bondage of the Egyptians. And he says, I want to justify them. Justify means I want to I want to prove and show their righteousness. I want to show the sonship that, that is inside them. I want to show and bring forth that they are my people. And the way wherein I will show that they are my people is by leading them out and destroying everything that oppresses them. Okay? So, it is not just for a human being to be bound by sin. It's not just for a human being to be enslaved by death and bondage. It's not just. For that is not why God made us. God made us to be partakers of His life. He made us to be partakers of His righteousness. And then what happened? Satan came. He deceived Eve. And through the sin that came there, He took God's people, which is God's sons and daughters, He took them captive and He oppressed them. Then God looked at that and said, That is not just. I will justify them. I will treat them according to my righteousness. I will treat them according to the original plan that I've had with man. And I will set them free and give them the life that I have planned for them. And now he comes, you know, and, 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 and he speaks to people that are so bound, you know, over thousands of years, people were so bound by legalism and law and I'm a slave and we even look at God the Father in a slave with a slave mentality. We see that with the Israelites. After they were led out, they didn't understand who led them out. They just looked at God as some form of a pharaoh. Because, you know, they didn't know that it was their father that led them out. You know, if my son um, is, you know, we, we see some of these movies where they take kids and like that Blood Diamond movie, you know, they take the gun and then they, they've got guns and they, it's the money thing and they've got children involved there and they will catch certain kids and, and um, kidnap them and then they will go to war and all these kind of things. Now, imagine your child was taken captive like that and he's, 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 he's part of some diamond deals and stuff and he's going around shooting people. If one of these gangs come and they, they uh, uh, make war and beat the other gang, then they're going to take your son for them. And then what your son has, what's happened to him is he's just taken captive by another system. So maybe somebody came and freed him from this system, but he's still, un, still in the very same thing. But if I come and I set my son free, then it's completely different because now his father has set him free. And if his father has set him free, he takes him by the hand and leads him out as a father. The biggest thing that there would be towards me and my son is to convince my son that I am his father and that I'm not just another gang leader. Because the first thing he will want to do is, if he doesn't know I'm his father, if he's never seen my face, he would think, oh my goodness, this guy came in here, he destroyed everything, he's even more powerful than the, the people I was enslaved to, so now what must I do for you, oh boss? And the mentality will be exactly the same. Tell me what I must do and I will just do it. In the meantime, it is, no, listen, let me explain to you. 
This is not a master-slave relationship. This is a father-son relationship. I am your father. You are a co-owner of everything I own. I've got promises for you. I've got a life for you. We live together. We are friends. My life and everything I have belongs to you. And then, if he doesn't understand, you know, he will go and, and say, so, so that means I'm not guilty before you? Oh my goodness, you've never been guilty before me. You have been guilty before the Pharaoh. You've been bound by the Pharaoh. And what you've come, in my eyes, you've come short of my life. Because you were oppressed by someone else. And I want to give you life. You know, the moment we start to think in those lines, our heart wants to believe in God. Our heart wants to trust God. Because we start to see who we are, we start to see who He is, and we start to discover His righteousness. Now, if we look at the word righteousness, it means, like I said here, um, equity of character or act. Equity of character or act is simply, it talks about value, it talks about, if you really go and study it out, the word equity, it means that the character or the action you have possesses the same value as God. So what it's actually saying is, when you talk about the righteousness of God, you talk about the life God lives that's in line with who He really is. That means, when you talk about the righteousness of God, you talk about the goodness of God. You talk about the good life that He lives towards man, or just in the Trinity. So if we look at the righteousness of God before time, let us just uh, quickly go to uh, Ephesians 1. And we're going to look at how did God live towards man even before the creation. And we're going to see this goodness of God. And we're going to see this goodness continuing to manifest even in this life. Before we read it, let me just summarize that we don't get lost in everything I say. We... This is, this is what I wanted to remember out of this first part of the message. <clears throat> we had a wrong definition of, or we had a law-based definition of certain terms, like righteousness, holiness, and all those kind of things. And God came and spoke to us through people like Apostle Paul, Peter, and whatever, and a lot of the law language was used to try and explain something that's not part of legalism and law, which is actually part of family. And that what I also wanted to remember is that in this whole thing, we need to look at the definition from a Trinity, a relationship-based platform, and define it from there. Right, Ephesians 1. <clears throat> it says here, um, Blessed be, verse 3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to good pleasure of His will. So what he's saying here, he says, before time God decided that He will make a man and that He will take this man and adopt him unto Himself. What does that mean? What does that mean? God comes, He lives in the Trinity, as I've preached many times here before, and from there He decides, let me take something, that's in, take something, create something, 
a heaven and an earth, take some of the dust of the heaven and the earth, blow my breath of life into that dust, and give that, and then adopt that dust unto myself. What that means is, I will give everything that I am, the fullness of my life, I will invest inside that dust. Meaning, that is now adopted unto himself. That dust will have the ability to reason, think, believe, and have eternal life in God's quality of life. That's what he said from before time. And here we see the equity of God's character. He's not stingy. He is uh, uh, sacrificial. In other words, he will give up of himself. He wants to share. He's a servant. We see all of that in the Trinity wherein he, wherein he decides to make man and adopt man unto himself. Meaning that man would be an eternal being that does not possess even the ability to die, that can live with the, the vibrance of the very life of God. That's what he, isn't that an awesome gift? That we are the, the, the objects that he made, the, the, the thing he made to share his life with. That is the righteousness of God. Now, when God, when we see the righteousness of God now revealed, what does that mean? We see what God has planned from the beginning now revealed. We see the freedom that comes when bondage came man's way, when death came man's way, when sin came man's way. God looked at it and He said, this is not right. It's not right that my people are bound to slavery. It's not right that my people are bound to sin. It's not right that my people are enslaved unto death. I want to deliver them. And we see the righteousness of God in that God, or the equity of character of God, that He comes and says, my son is lost, I will come and save my son. There we see the righteousness of God. So the righteousness of God is the goodness of God in manifestation. And now the Bible says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For when we believe God, we find that through this action of belief, through a heart that's persuaded of who He is, we find His, the freedom, and what He planned for us from the beginning, starting to manifest in our lives. And we find His fruit starting to live in us. Now, let's go back to Romans, and we just read that again. Romans 3. Yes. From verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Justified means to be set free and to be treated according to who and what you really are. So what he was saying there is, by no amount of hard work that the Hebrew slave would do for Pharaoh would he be set free from the slavery of Pharaoh. That's what he's saying. It doesn't matter how hard you would work for Pharaoh. Do you think that if the Israelites really did a good job for the Pharaoh, that now Pharaoh will say, because you work so hard and you're such good laborers, I'll let you go. <laughs> no, because you work so hard, I'll keep you. And this is what he's saying. He says, by no works of the flesh, by no works of the law, shall any man be justified in the sight of God. That justified means to be treated justly according to the plan God had from the beginning. 
What is God's plan from the beginning? That you would be a happy, eternal, joyful being that shares in His quality of life. Not a Hebrew slave. A son that is a co-owner of love, that is a co-owner of righteousness, that's a co-owner of all the attributes of God, that possesses all the life of God. That is his plan. And now something unjust has happened to man, and man got a poison inside him called, I can have this life God promised by my own works. And now man cannot have it, and man is dying. And God said, it's not just that they die. Let me bring them life. Let me set them free. And God came and showed His righteousness by setting these people free. And now we can see the righteousness of God portrayed in Jesus Christ. So, righteousness is not just this legalistic, law-based system wherein we define righteousness in a court of law. You know, we have got, we, we've defined righteousness, you know, righteousness, one of the pictures of righteousness that I've forgot to mention is a judge, a righteous judge. A righteous judge would say, well, I don't care if it's my son or not, if he's guilty, he's guilty, and he's, he hammers, nails down the hammer and that's it. That's a righteous, and, and we would define righteousness in that way. But here we see righteousness defined before there was a law or anything as God's goodness towards man, His righteous action towards man, His original intent, His original equity of character. Wherein He designed man, He honors the design of man, man has got a free will, and when man was taken captive, enslaved by a certain poison, like I said, and now that poison is killing him, He says, let me deliver them from that poison. You know, if my son gets kidnapped, or even if my son, if, if he goes on his own free will, and gets lost, and drunk, and on drugs, and whatever, it would be unrighteous if I don't help him. Isn't it? It's unrighteous. How can you not help your own son? If he continually rejects your help, I can understand that you say, well, you know, I'm not helping him anymore, but it's not that my door is not open, it's just that he doesn't want to receive it. But if your son is lost, righteousness is defined in, your, in you wanting to help him. doesn't matter why he got lost. Even if he got lost on his own free will. It's like the lost sheep. You know, the sheep can get lost because it's just a sheep. He walks and when he sees, he's lost. But the prodigal son, he gets lost by free will. But the father's heart, the door, is still open for the, for the son to come home. And that, in therein we see the righteousness of God. So righteousness should not be defined as a legal term in how many bricks we've made, or when I couldn't make bricks, Jesus came and made the bricks for me, so the Pharaoh can let me go because I've met the standard. No, righteousness is defined in this, that we are not under a brick-making system at all. And to take us, that system away from us. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do. And therein we see the righteousness of God defined. Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What is the righteousness of God? It is God saying, I will adopt you unto myself, giving my life to you. So, 
from the beginning, from before time, and I'm going to end off with this. <clears throat> from the beginning, before time, there was this promise that God made man. He said to man, I will give you my quality of life. I'll give you my attributes. I'll give you the fruit of my spirit. I'll give you love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness. All the attributes of God is a gift to man. He promised that. And he said, I will give you a human body that will be a, like a glorified body, like the body of Jesus, that can never die, that can give full expression to the fullness of who I am. A body that possesses the ability to inherit the kingdom of God. You know that your physical body today cannot give full expression to what you've inherited in Jesus. Jesus will have to come back, your body will have to be glorified, for this normal flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. So when your body is fully glorified, a physical body glorified, you can then have and give full expression to what God has given to you in Jesus or the fullness of God. So here, that is God's promise from the beginning. The Bible says from before the foundation of the world, God promised us eternal life. That's what He promised us. And now we can see the righteousness of God defined therein that He brings that forth in us by promise. So, we are not slaves in the New Testament wherein we sit under new commandments where God has got ten new commandments or three new commandments and now we are His slaves and we must now obey these three commandments to have life. No. The New Testament works like this. Or God's plan from the beginning works like this. We as humans were taken captive into a system wherein we tried to have the life that God has and promised by doing good works. And we couldn't. Then God said, I'll save you from that. I will put a human being in the Trinity, which is Jesus, and I will show to you that I can raise you from the dead and that I can give immortality to a human being. And that's what God did in Jesus. And Jesus is God's promise to each one of us. We who believe that, you know what happens to us? When we believe that we are not under that slavery anymore, when we believe that the place Jesus possessed is our place that He prepared for us, you know what happens? This righteousness of God starts to manifest in our lives by His doing. That's what's starting to take place. We find that he, he comes and He brings forth what He promised from the beginning in us. So I am not under the Pharaoh's slavery anymore. I'm not, even, I'm not under the slavery of God. I am part of, I, I am a partaker of the righteousness of God, which is to take dust and give dust immortality and life. And now we see the righteousness of God manifested in us through faith. Let's explain it this way. When the, the Israelites were taken captive, God said, God's righteousness was to give them a land. Their own land. Here they were in another man's land, enslaved by someone else that was supposed to be good to them. You remember when Joseph was there, then the Pharaoh was there, and they were supposed to actually care for these Israelites. Then they made them slaves. Then God said, no, no, I want to give them their own land. 
Look at the righteousness of God. Look at the equity of character of God. My sons will have their own land. Here they are taken captive. After captivity, the Lord leads them out of this works system. For 40 years in the desert, they cannot believe that God, they cannot believe that they are not slaves, that they are the children of God, that God promised them a land. They cannot believe. But then one day, there were two guys, ten spies went out, and two of them believed. And the, old, the whole nation died away that was taken out of Egypt. And a new nation came because the, old, the others became old and they died, and here we find the new people now. And these people believe. And what happens through when they believed? The Jordan stopped. They walked through the Jordan where? Into the promised land. We see as they can just believe and trust God and not try and worship idols, not try and by their own works enter in, but just trust the Father. We see the righteousness of the Father, the righteousness of God, which is to give them a land manifest. Do you see that this righteousness has got nothing to do with your works, but everything to do with God being righteous in what He's done and in what He decided? Let's read it again. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, meaning the law and the prophets prophesied towards what God was going to give man. Even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So he says here, what he says, he says, you are all sinners, meaning by your own works, you've worked in, you worked in Pharaoh's fields, you've worked, you've built his castle for him. You see by how hard you worked, you could never be set free and you could never have your own land. Pharaoh's never going to give you a land when you worked hard enough for him. In the same way, the law system will never give you your own piece of land. doesn't matter how hard you work for it. doesn't matter how much you pray, how much you fast, you're never going to have it. doesn't matter how hard you try by works to be, let me use giving as an example, doesn't matter how much money you give every month, it can never give birth to generosity in your heart. It doesn't matter how many people you give food on the street. It will never be able to give you the ability to love them. I hope you hear what I'm saying. You can say to, to your neighbors, if they've upset you, I forgive you, I forgive you, and you can have all the right actions. But saying I forgive you, taking, baking them a cake, blessing them to show your forgiveness can never bring a heart that really sees them as holy and innocent to you. Your works can never bring that forth. It is impossible. It can never give you a land of your own. But what God has promised man is that man can be a co-sharer of his love, a co-sharer of his kindness, a co-sharer of his peace, of who he is, of, of his generosity. He promised us that life, man. And now when we can believe, 
when we say, Father, I believe that you could take a human being and put him in that eternal life. And I can see Jesus died. He was raised up under the law system. The law brings death. Jesus died. He was raised up by the Holy Spirit. And you give me now your Holy Spirit. And what I expect is for you to bring forth in me now love. I believe you can bring it forth. And the moment you believe, you see the righteousness of God manifesting in bringing you into that love relationship with Him, that love relationship with people, kindness, generosity, the love of God starts to flow out of you, and you are now a sharer in the promised land. You are now starting to possess your own country, the place God has designed for you, and there we see the righteousness of God. People, that is so far so far separated from, well, I am now righteous because I've obeyed the law or Jesus came and made my hundred bricks for me and now I'm righteous. No, no, the righteousness of God is not revealed in Him making your bricks for you. The righteousness of God is revealed in, the, in Jesus obeying the Father in becoming the Lamb that could be slain so that you can be set free. The slaying of the lamb talks about the ending of the firstborn. You know, all the firstborn children died. And then Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's firstborn died. And you know what happened in the death of Jesus when the lamb was slain? The firstborn, Adam, when he first sinned, you know, he, the, the first man that was born in sin was Adam and Eve when they believed the lie. That firstborn died. The firstborn of the Pharaoh. Pharaoh talks about Satan's system. Who was the firstborn there? Adam and Eve. When Jesus died, what happened? The firstborn, Adam and Eve, died. Meaning that the enslavement that Adam and Eve brought to man died. And we are led out. We're not under Adam anymore. We are under the righteousness of God, man. Glory to God. It's unrighteous. It's unrighteous, or put it this way, it's unjust for you to live in fear in South Africa. It's unjust that the people of God would live in fear. So I'm not going to tell you, stop fearing. That will be crazy. Because if you, by confessing positive and saying everything is okay, try to bring peace to your heart, you will never be an owner of peace. But if I come and I can declare to you what God has promised you, Peace on earth, goodwill toward man. Here is the Apostle Paul. He's sitting in the stocks. He's sitting in his own feces in jail. And he's singing worship songs to God. Do you see the righteousness of God? That God can, God promised man joy. And here in the situation where he's in a jail, where he's bound in the middle of the jail, in the sewer of the jail, the Apostle Paul sings praises to God. Can you see the righteousness of God of how Paul entered the promised land God has promised him? Glory to God. And I tell you, God has promised man that he will raise each one of us even from the grave, man. That grave will not be able to hold you. If you're dead for 10,000 years, who cares? Our God has promised and we've seen the inheritance in Christ. And He's a righteous God. 
and His righteousness shall prevail, and we shall have His life. We who believe. Believe what? Believe that we, that He can make His promise true, that the old man has died, that there's a new man seated at the right hand of the Father, and that is the truth about us. That is the righteousness of God. It's got nothing to do with, well now, um, God sees me as if I've obeyed the law. Yes, it is, you know, if I want to come to a law guy that feels guilty towards the Pharaoh, I can say to him, it is as if, you know, you have obeyed the law. You stand innocent. And then he can feel happy. Okay? We, we can say that, and it will bring a certain understanding. And it's necessary, especially for somebody that's deep into slavery. But you know, the Apostle Paul came and he said, I wish I could speak to you like grown-ups, man. He says, I'm speaking to you as fleshly. Because you have not come to a place where you can understand even what I'm trying to say. Meaning that a lot of the stuff that the Apostle Paul wrote, he wrote in a language which was a, a, a full, a, a, um, I don't want to say contaminate, that's not the right word, but it, it was a law-based language. It's like speaking to a man on Mars. Trying to explain to these people. He says, but you're still dull of understanding. That's why I cannot say what I really want to say. So it's good to say to somebody, listen man, that thinks that he stands guilty before God, that God is not, he's not angry with you anymore, um, and all those kind of things. But then you come, have to come to a place where you realize that you have been the son of God, the children of the Lord. Th these people are my firstborn. I love them. They've been taken captive. It's not just that they are like this. I'm going to justify them. It is unjust that the being that has been made to, be, to give expression to the fullness of God gives expression to death. It's unjust, and I will justify them by bringing them to a place where they can have life. And the Bible says, by faith, we are justified. How? By the very righteousness of God, which is His good action towards us. Amen. Well, since there's a lot of verses about righteousness, you know, you know I can't preach everything in one service, so we'll, we'll see if we can... We'll make this a series until I go to Europe. You know, so... Yeah, glory to God. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much for your love and your righteousness. You are a righteous God. You've got equity of character. You are as you ought to be. And in the presence, uh, when we look at the slavery that man was taken in, we thank you, Father, you are righteous. And you are as you ought to be. And the way you ought to be is a father that loves his children and saves them from oppression, saves them from slavery, and bring forth what you've planned from the beginning to adopt us unto you. Thank you for that, Lord. We are being set free. We are experiencing that freedom coming to our lives. And thank you, Lord, that, it is, that your righteousness is manifested through faith to everyone that believes. We all have fallen short by our own works. We could not get ourselves free from the Pharaoh by our own works. But you have shown your righteousness, our Abba, in setting man free. We see what you've accomplished in Jesus. You got it right to take a human body, make it immortal, and put it, adopt it unto the level of God. We see it in Jesus. And thank you, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead indwells us today. And that Spirit raises in us, Father, love, joy, peace, kindness, generosity, love uh, for, for one another, uh, um, servant, a servant to the kindness in us that we have been made for. And in the end, 
we will even have life from the death, being raised from the graves. Thank you for your life for us. Amen and amen.